I'm Sean McCormick, and this is Optimal Performance. Okay, before I play the clips that always precede the actual episode, little snippets from the guest, I want to beg you, implore you, ask you, all of you, to keep an open mind during this next hour. You're about to hear some ideas that are going to challenge your sense of reality. I warned you uh, ahead of time specifically because I want you to keep an open mind and I would really, really appreciate if you kept and listened through the entire episode because there's a lot of interesting information here that represents a growing uh, population of people who are, are challenging some core beliefs about the way that viruses exist or if they exist at all. We know that the last three years have told us that the whole COVID narrative was fraught with inconsistencies and untruths and misinformation and disinformation. And you know that I have, from the beginning, challenged the narrative, and this episode doubles down on that and takes it to another level. So please, before I play these clips, I just want you to keep an open mind. Okay. At no time in the history of virology has a virus been taken directly from the fluids of a sick person and been shown to exist. The idea that disease is passed via the fluids of a sick person is also completely unproven. In countless experiments, up until the 1940s and 1950s when they stopped doing them, there were multiple attempts in which fluids from a sick person were taken and then exposed to a healthy person and those healthy people and literally every example did not get sick. If you're assigning characteristics to something that has not first been shown to exist, that's called a reification fallacy. Go look up the ASH experiments, the Stanford Prison experiments, the Milgram experiments, and you'll get a good picture of what the human psyche or how the human psyche responds to obedience, to authority, and to groupthink. Okay, so the end of COVID is launching on July 11th. It is intended to take people from A to Z on exactly what happened the last three years and beyond, getting down to the granular details so that we can ensure none of this nonsense ever happens again. Free for 21 days, completely free. And we have over 120, <laughs> that's a lot, 120 hours of recorded interviews presentations, most of them are presentations. Um, again, getting down to the granular details of what happened. Everyone is Alec Zek. You may remember Alec from episode 289 back in November of 2020, entitled COVID Coercion, Questioning the Narrative with Alec Zek. He's a voracious researcher, an online truth teller, a graduate from West Point, and he is an advocate for holistic health and personal freedoms and this guy it has a mag a, an absolutely huge audience on every platform he's been on he's been canceled a bunch he's had his social accounts removed <laughs> so you know he's saying some things that the power structures don't want in this episode this is really kind of focused on um, what he's promoting which is called the end of covid which is an online library, a, a course, a resource center that has uh, 150 hours plus of presentations and interviews to explain from the beginning to the very end of what COVID was all about. And this episode, we talk a lot about the fact that there is not an effective scientific method study that shows that viruses exist. You, if you skip through the first part of this and you're just hearing me say this for the first time, um, it should shock you. It should blow your mind. 
but he's not alone. There are a number of doctors and researchers who have stumped virologists because there is never it's never been isolated. Viruses have never been isolated. And the guy who created the idea of the virology theory had his own doubts in his journals that uh, came out after his death, Louis Pasteur. So please keep an, own, uh, keep an open mind in this episode and don't take Alex's word for it. You know, go, go check it out for yourself. Um, the End of COVID is an amazing resource that you can go in and check out for yourself. It's free for a limited time and then they're going to start charging it. But if you had a question about what's the Wuhan lab in China all about or... Um, you know, what did this virus come from a pangolin? Uh, what's a virus at all? Who are the money structures and power structures that benefited from COVID and the subsequent rollout of measures like vaccines and lockdowns? Where did the money go? This really digs into all of it. This is a fascinating conversation that I really, really hope that you appreciate because you're not going to hear this everywhere else. This is this is a unique opportunity for uh, a guy like Alec to come on and to share with you some stuff that you've never heard before. So I'm just going to dive right into it. Um, I'd love your feedback. If you like these episodes, I want to hear from you. Let me know what you think. And without further ado, ladies and gentlemen, Alec Zek from the end of COVID. Alec Zek, welcome back to the Optimal Performance Podcast. Thanks, man. Thanks for having me. It's been like, what, two years since yeah. the last time I talked with you? I don't know. A long time. No, yeah. November 22nd, uh, 2020 was the last time you were on the pod. Oh my God. <laughs> oh my God. Has my perspective evolved? <laughs> I know it. And that's why I wanted to have you back because so much has changed. Yeah. Uh, the, the title for those of you who missed Alex's first appearance uh, it's 289 COVID coercion, questioning the narrative with Alex Zach. Uh, we talk about medical system failures. We talk about research and personal power. We talk about Alex's uh, origin story of becoming an advocate for holistic health. Uh, super cool episode. Very interesting. And also, you're, you've changed your mind on a few things since then, haven't yeah, you? Yeah, quite a bit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Let's, to say the what, least. Let's let's start with with this and 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 you're obviously making the podcast rounds and just churning out awesome appearances on uh, on lots of different podcasts and so consistent. And my first question is, what's the best way to wade into the waters that you now swim in the deep end of? Um, not only regarding the end of COVID as a concept, but uh, the virology myth, like what, what's the best way to start with people? Yeah, I could uh, insert two thought experiments that I think children could understand as, as like the necessary context. Um, one, let's, let's do the Santa Claus one first. So from the time that I'm a little kid, and able to form complex thoughts, I'm told that Santa Claus exists, right? And multiple things in my environment reify the existence of Santa Claus, the the songs, the movies, 
the um, decorations, all the other people in my community that are super excited about Santa Claus, all the other kids who are super excited about Santa Claus, the uh, Santa Claus sleigh tracking app that I have on my phone, the um, you know CNN or Fox News covering Santa's trajectory across the sky at night, the pieces of beard I find in the fireplace, the presents under the tree, the uh, the you know half-eaten cookies and milk that I find on Christmas morning, the reindeer tracks in the yard, all of these things in my environment, and especially the excitement that I feel, the real measurable, observable biological response that I have regarding Santa Claus, and you know maybe if, if my if I've been a bad kid my parents tell me that I'm going to get coal in my stocking and it's the fear that I have surrounding the idea of Santa Claus, right? The measurable and observable biological response of fear. All of those things that I just listed would indicate that Santa Claus actually exists, right? And they, they fit in the, the model. They are the best fit for the model of Santa Claus. They give indication to the existence of Santa Claus, but as we all know, Santa Claus does not actually exist, right? Of course, like all these things in our environment indicate that he exists, but he doesn't. And the, the, the second thought experiment to that, and I'll lead into how this relates to what we're talking about with virology would be that this one comes from Dr. Cowan's book, The Contagion Myth, and it's my own you know, variation of it, I guess. So if I were to tell you that a ping pong ball could break down a brick wall or like if I threw a ping pong ball at a brick wall and break it down, logically speaking, you'd want to see evidence of that, right? So sure. if I were to take a bunch of corrosive acid and pour it all over the brick wall and then I take a giant mallet and smash the brick wall sev several times and then I tape a ping pong ball to a giant boulder and then whirl it at the brick wall and the brick wall falls down, voila. I've proven the ping pong ball caused the destruction of that brick wall. Of course, you'd look at me and say, that's nonsense. There's, the ping pong ball had absolutely no effect on the brick wall. It was all of the other things that were present. But how these two things relate to really everything that has happened the last three years is this. There is, there is a claim there's a claim that there is a submicroscopic pathogenic particle or the official definition of a virus is an obligate intracellular parasite that is, that is pathogenic and disease causing that is being transmitted via the fluids of sick people to healthy people and causing disease symptoms and sometimes death in those people. That's the claim. And that claim has no proof. And for those who haven't heard this before, they may look at me and say, Alec, you're absolutely batshit crazy. I mean, it's clear that people are getting sick and we can talk about that later. But the, the people getting sick thing relates to the Santa Claus analogy, because just like there are, there's another explanation for what is the cause of the presence under the tree, the, the decorations, the fear, the, the excitement that I experience, all these other things yet there is no proof of Santa Claus. The same is, uh, the same sentiments are exist when it comes to virology. And then how it relates to the ping pong ball example more specifically is that in order to, to prove that X exists and causes Y, 
right? Like, you know, the ping pong ball example, X is the ping pong ball and it causes Y. Obviously in that example, there were several other confounding variables and you cannot possibly say that the ping pong ball caused the destruction of that brick wall. You cannot say that X caused Y. So when it comes to COVID-19 and the whole situation, every measure that was put in place, all of the impact that occurred, there is this claim that a virus exists, SARS-CoV-2 exists, X, and causes disease, Y. So how do virologists go about establishing that foundational proof of their very bold claim. So if I were to tell you SARS-CoV-2 has not been isolated or proven to exist or proven to cause any disease, of course, you would go on to PubMed or Google Scholar or you'd contact a doctor friend of yours and you'd find one of thousands of studies that say isolation of SARS-CoV-2 proof of pathogenicity, et cetera, et cetera. You'd send it to me and you'd say, Alec, what the hell are you talking about? The problem with that is, yes, the abstract and the title of that paper read isolation of SARS-CoV-2 transmission, pathogenicity, et cetera, et cetera. But when you read the methods section of that paper, you will find a process that is, you know, kind of ironically similar to the brick wall analogy that I described with, uh, that came from Dr. Cowan. And what happens when they quote isolate viruses is they take snot from a sick person that they assume, but never verify contains a virus or virus particles. They just assume that there are virus particles in there. They then add that snot to a monkey kidney cell known as a Vero E6 or a Vero CCL81 cell culture alongside several cytotoxic antibiotics and antimycotics. Yeah, go ahead. I have to pause you because for people who are following along with everything that you're saying, even the very beginning of the method in which that they say that they can prove this exists is faulty from the jump because they assume, they assume Sean has COVID, why he took a PCR test or, you know, he's got the symptoms or it's, uh, June of 2020 and the original strain, uh, we're pretty sure Sean has it. Okay. Yeah. So I, I just want to highlight that fact. Yeah. Please continue. But like, well, it's, it's a very important thing to highlight because there's an assumption in there and w- with, with quote COVID, the assumption that was initially made is that there was uh, a patient or two that went to the hospital in Wuhan, China and they tested them for quote known viruses and these people tested negative for all quote known viruses so then they took their fluids submitted them off to a lab sequenced the genetic material which is another process that's riddled with pseudoscience and assumptions and then they quote discovered a new virus and said ah these people are infected with a novel coronavirus and that again we cover that extensively during the end of covid while that's not why that is nonsense but building off of that then for everyone else in the world they 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 take this snot that is assumed to contain a virus when i say assumed to contain a virus i want to emphasize a point here at no time in the history of virology has a virus been taken directly from the fluids of a sick person and been shown to exist more specifically, at no time in history has a virus been isolated, 
uh, purified, characterized, and sequenced directly from the fluids of a sick person. And further, all of the electron micrograph images or light microscope images or dark field microscope images of a so-called virus comes from the experiment that I'm about to describe right now, the pseudoscientific isolation process um, for viruses. So again, they take this snot assumed to contain a virus. They add it to a foreign cell culture, typically a monkey kidney cell, which is a Vero E6 or Vero CCL81 cell culture alongside several cytotoxic antibiotics and antimycotics like amphotericin B, gentamicin, sometimes geneticin. They also add what's called Delbeco's minimal essential medium or Delbeco's modified eagle medium, fetal bovine serum. Sometimes they add trypsin. Then this cell that has had all these things added to it, right? Many of which are toxic to kidney cells specifically, and this is a monkey kidney cell, break down into a bunch of fragments. That's what happens to the cell, right? And then they take these fragments and prepare them for electron microscopy, and then also prepare them for sequencing and things like this, but prepare them for electron microscopy, and they produce these electron micrograph images point to the particles and say, voila, that's proof of SARS-CoV-2. This must have been these little particles that after the cells experience a cytopathic effect, which is essentially just the cell dying, these little particles must have been what caused the cell to die. Not all these other substances that were added. These particles must have been what was inside the fluids of a sick person, although we never verified that they were actually there in the first place. These particles must have been transmitted to this person from another person, and this must be what is causing disease in all of these people around the world. This episode is brought to you by BioPro Plus, the non-synthetic HGH alternative that works so incredibly well. And I'm going to talk to you about how I use it and why I love it. And then I'll tell you some of the details about what it is and how it works. Number one, I do not exaggerate when I tell you that BioPro Plus is the most effective supplement I've ever taken to enhance vitality. So that's energy, metabolism, that is sleep, that is libido, all of those things have been enhanced since I've been taking it, and so many of my coaching clients and you listeners can attest to that. It's super simple. It's literally the first thing I do in the morning. After I wake up and use the bathroom, I unscrew the cap to a little tiny vial of the liquid, and then I just pour it underneath my tongue, and that's how I start my day. I can usually start to feel it after about 30, 45 minutes. BioPro Plus is the faster, easier, and safer non-synthetic alternative to painful, expensive, and invasive anti-aging and hormone treatments. Before you do TRT, before you start taking a bunch of herbs that may not make you feel the way that you want to feel, you should try this. Go to bioproteintech.com and use the code OPP to get $30 off. You know, you know that a sponsor is a hit when people who have purchased it reach out to me and say, holy cow, Sean, I tried this and it's amazing. It's blowing my mind. It makes me better at everything that I do. I love having sponsors like this that really make a difference in people's lives. And this product is, it's absolutely incredible. It's growth factors and amino acids that will help you improve your hormones, become better at everything that you want to do. So go to bioproteintech.com and use the code OPP for $30 off. It's a stretch, isn't it? It's a stretch. It, the, 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 the fascinating part about this is, is it's so hard to wrap your brain around. It is so, it just like Santa Claus in that moment where each of us whatever, maybe we were six, maybe we were 11, 
where we found out, oh no, it's mom and dad, <laughs> you know, like, and, and, uh, and, you know, we came up with excuses for who we're actually seeing at the mall and taking pictures with, like, that's just an ambassador, yeah. you know, to Santa, like we've, we've all, we, we all remember, remember that, that sort of moment. And it's challenging because there's so much education. There's so much uh, uneducation. There's so much unlearning that needs to happen around this topic, which yep. case in point, the end of COVID.com, which we're going to, we're going to plug and talk about. And because there's so much to learn yep. and there's yep. so many ins and outs that are, that require the, 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 the question to be, to be clarified and asked and explored my red pill moment when this whole thing was, uh, a couple of years ago, when the first study came out that they had isolated the SARS-CoV-2 thing, and it was, I think it was a Korean lab that came out with it. And there was, I think, three researchers and they came out with, they came out with it like, Hey, we isolated it. We found it. And then somebody maybe, and I, somebody said, well, wait a minute, this doesn't make, this doesn't quite make sense because some of the science is flawed Two of the guys were like, nope, it's legit. And one of the guys, I think maybe you've heard this before. The third guy's like, you're right. We technically didn't like really find it. We didn't actually isolate it, but we think that we kind of found it. And that was, so that's been echoing in my brain for now, you know, two and a half years, three years. And yet I still am so confused <laughs> by the whole thing and Robert F. Kennedy Jr. talking about, you know, uh, the Wuhan uh, Virology Lab and yeah. um, the National Institute of Health and Del Bigtree, people who I've had on the, not, not Robert F. Kennedy Jr., but, but Del Bigtree to be on the podcast. And I know how closely you, you guys have, have run in the same sort of uh, movements where it's still being harped on that, that, that it was a manufactured thing. It wasn't a pangolin. It was a manufactured thing in a lab that then spread yep. out and then went on your Amazon package. And then the Amazon package landed in and it's like, man, it's just really hard to wrap your brain around. Uh, so I want to stick because I, I, I don't have you for that long. So I want to kind of stick to a couple of these questions. Yeah. I, I, I think that I think the hard part is, is you and I, you have talked about discernment a lot. I've talked about this idea of discernment about what do you see? What do you notice in your reality? Like that, that helps inform your decision-making and what a lot of people, myself included discern in our reality is a sick kid in my first graders class who stays home from school. And then the next day, my first grader gets sick and stays home from school. And when she stays home from school, then I get a sniffle. My wife gets a sniffle. My fifth grader gets a sniffle. And, and, and I, I have this notion that that's a hard thing to try to explain outside <laughs> of the virology idea. So how do you think of that? And I don't know, you know, like how, how do you, how do you approach that? That's what I'm seeing with my eyes. So what are some other possibilities? Yeah, so what you're doing right now and what I have had to do and what <clears throat> so many people have had to do who have come to the understanding that, okay, there's there's no proof that SARS-CoV-2 exists. And you know, I could get into much, 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 much greater detail on everything that I'm saying, 
but that's why we're creating the end of COVID because that's exactly what we do in the first two modules. There is roughly 30 hours worth of content just in the first two modules going into the depths of virology. So I'm sure there's a lot of questions that will come up for people who are listening to this. But what you're doing right now is exactly what I had to do and others have had to do and exactly what a child does when they're learning the truth about Santa Claus. Now, the difference is when when the gig is up on Santa Claus, you know, the, the kid is given all the details like, hey, here's this explanation. Here's this. Here's this. Here's actually what's happening from the so-called authority figures. Right. We don't have that with virology because most of the the overwhelming majority of the authority figures actually believe in Santa Claus, the virus. Right. So. So with that as context, the questions that naturally come up as you begin to unravel the the idea that SARS-CoV-2 and other viruses don't exist and have never been proven to be disease causing, it, it it's important to provide this necessary context. And we also do that extensively during the end of COVID. But one thing that's important to bring up, and again, we cover this during the end of COVID in much more depth than I will here, is that the idea that disease is passed via the fluids of a sick person is also completely unproven. Like, I think so many of us, even many people who've come to understand that SARS-CoV-2 doesn't exist, still assume that this is a well-established fact, that disease is spread via the fluids of a sick person. But in countless experiments up until the 1940s and 1950s when they stopped doing them, they there were multiple attempts in which fluids from a sick person were taken and then exposed to a healthy person and those healthy people and literally every example did not get sick or at the least as in one example there was a control done where they uh the control group was given saline in place of the snot from a sick person and more people became sick after being exposed to saline than those who were exposed to the so-called virus, which was, you know, just snot from a sick person. And then in one of the most popular examples, the Rosenau experiments during the Spanish flu from 1918 through 1919, Milton Rosenau, this guy who is trying to essentially determine or, or prove or validate the way that the so-called Spanish flu was spread. And again, there is the presupposition that it is something physical that is being spread, right? So what he did in this set of experiments was that he took 100 volunteers who were not sick with the Spanish flu and exposed them to the uh, to, to Spanish flu patients via various means. And in one group, he took um, fluids from Spanish flu patients and like swabbed the back of the healthy volunteers throats. Another example, he took, uh, some, some nasal fluid and sprayed it in their faces. Another example, he took infected blood from Spanish flu patients and injected it into the healthy patients. And another set of, uh, subset of the experiment, he took 13 volunteers and brought them into a Spanish flu ward and had them talk at close range with several patients, had those patients cough in their faces and had them, you know, like communicate with each other, shake hands, do all these things. And then it turns out zero of the 100 volunteers became sick. 
And Milton Rosenau was quoted as, as saying something to the effect of, we entered the outbreak thinking that we knew the cause of this disease. If we have learned anything, it's that we don't know much about what causes this disease. Hmm. Again, this is said to be the most deadly viral pandemic in modern history. And I don't discount the reality that people died during that era. But what we're trying to figure out is what caused them to die. And again, given that we have now multiple experiments that we'll cover in depth during the end of COVID in which they did try to infect healthy people with fluids from a sick person, and it turned out that it wasn't possible, then we have to go back to the drawing board. And Dr. Cowan, who I admire greatly, has a really good analogy for this because people will say, well, in order, for, in order to really take down virology, you need to come up with a better explanation for what's going on. And the reality is because all of the, the scientific community's attention, funding, et cetera, has been put towards this idea that disease is passed via the fluids of a sick person and that viruses exist, no attention has been given to other possibilities, which is why before we do that, we need to continue to dissolve these untruths. Of course, we can put forth ideas, but it comes with the reality that many of these ideas have not been tested in accordance with the scientific method, right? And so, of course, you could talk about, uh, just use examples of women who are together for extended periods of time that sync up on their menstrual cycles, right? Or if I yawn and you're around me, you're likely to yawn too, right? So like, I would argue that those two things aren't caused by a contagious virus. So what's causing those phenomena, right? right. And so right. when it comes to this, you know, I can share my thoughts. And again, this comes with an important contextual disclaimer is that I don't claim to know exactly what is causing this phenomenon. But my idea is that if knowing what I know about structured water and, and knowing that our cells are likely comprised of structured water, and again, we cover this during the end of COVID in three different sessions as well. Um, and knowing that Countless experiments by Gerald Pollack, Gilbert Ling, even Veda Austin have indicated that structured water communicates or receives information, retains information, et cetera, et cetera. If I am experiencing a detoxification protocol in my body, is it far-fetched to say, it might be far-fetched for people who are listening now because they haven't looked into the structured water stuff, but we covered that during the end of COVID, just stick with me. Is it far-fetched to say that bodies around me who have also reached a certain threshold of toxicity, mm. if I'm experiencing a detoxification reaction, I may signal to them, hey, I'm going through a detox right now. It might be time for you to go through a detox as well. And they then go through a detox themselves. Mm. Is that far-fetched to say that? I'd say it's not too far-fetched and it's a, it's a possibility. But then the other piece of context that's necessary here, and this is the last thing I'll say, I know I've been rambling for a while. No, that's good. 95% of COVID deaths had an average of four comorbidities, most being lifestyle and nutrition related. And all that I'm sharing here is coming directly from the CDC. 79% of hospitalizations were in overweight or obese people. The second strongest risk factor for death associated with a COVID label was fear slash anxiety related disorders in a study published by the CDC in July of 2021. Think about that. The second strongest risk factor for death was fear slash anxiety related disorders. And now many people who listen to your show, listen to my show would say, well, dude, I wasn't scared of this fucking virus. Like I, so that doesn't apply to me and I still got sick, but 
of course, that's that's there. There's two things wrong with that. That's assuming that one single thing is the cause of another single thing. I'm not saying fear was the only cause. There are so many other factors right. at play. So that's the first thing. The second thing is that when it comes to this idea that that many of the people that that are in the truth or slash health freedom space were not in a perpetual state of fear. That's completely off base. Was I fearful of the virus when I believed in it? No. But was I fearful of government tyranny at various points in time? Was I fearful and uncertain about the future? Was I fearful of what's going to happen with my family? Was I fearful of X, Y, and Z other things? Absolutely, I was at various points over the last three years. And I don't think any so-called truther, health freedom, you know, person would would say otherwise perpetual fear related to the virus yeah maybe you weren't fearful of that but you were fearful of other things i guarantee that sure 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 your example of um you know uh, synchronizing menstrual cycles and the yawn and the the you know the rain barrel effect of people reaching some sort of toxic load from bad food and bad air and bad water and Wi-Fi routers and stress and pollen, it reaches this like rain barrel where it begins to overflow. If you think about, and, and this is like, I, this is just clicked for me. So thank you for this example. It's like, we know that the cell cells in our bodies talk to each other, right? We knows that we know that we are hollow bions as yep. we, we are collections of coordinated little things happening all the time inside of our bodies. And we are also think we can think of ourselves as the human culture as we are sort of cells that live on uh, the planet. And if one of the sets of cells is beginning to freak out and have this thing, this response, this, this overflow of the barrel, it does make sense for the other cells that are nearest in our proximity to be like, oh, we're freaking out now. Okay. We're going to freak out. We're going to, we're going to, our nose is going to start to run too. Your nose is running. Cool. Then I'll, I'll run. My nose will run too. Cause something's going on. And then, uh, and then junior gets uh, a cough and then it's like, oh shit. Well now I got a cough too, because there must be something going on that, that is a, that is a breakthrough in my thinking of this as, as a possibility, right. As a, mm -hmm. as a, as a possibility. And the other thing that I think about are are the, the the symptoms, right? The symptoms of whatever is going on um, are can be similar, you know, um, but they don't have to be similar. Like I experienced an illness in the middle, well, in the in the later edge of of the 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 pandemic that didn't exist, and I lost my taste and I lost my smell, like legit. And it's still, it's like. 75% of what it was before I had this, this response, this illness, uh, what, two, two years ago. Mm -hmm. Now I don't have an explanation for that. I, I can't, I can't tell you why my taste, my taste and smell are still subdued afterwards, but it's, it's questions. It's, it's ideas like that that I have this sort of symptomatic response to some sort of stimuli in my environment that is shared with, with other people mm -hmm. that kind of blows my, frankly, blows my mind. You yeah. Know? Like, and, and I, and I, and I don't have to have all the answers, but I certainly am not afraid of asking questions as I know you are too. 
Exactly. And that's the other thing to emphasize here is I don't claim to know with certainty what the answer is. I can only just share my thoughts on what might be happening, let's say specifically with the loss of taste and smell, right? So first off, um, we need to understand that prior to this whole charade of the last three years, loss of taste and smell occurred in one out of every three common cold cases. And there's archived Google searches from the Wayback Machine that show, that show this, that like that's a common occurrence with a common cold. Now, with that though, a lot of people say, well, dude, I've had loss of taste and smell for like a year and a half now, man. Like that doesn't sound like it applies to me. And then we have to bring in the reality of, Prolonged exposure to non-native electromagnetic fields can absolutely lead to our olfactory function um, being diminished or completely malfunctioning. So that's the other thing, because we have to understand that although millimeter wave technology is not a novel technology, it is novel in the sense that over the last three years, it has been rolled out in mass and we're still not fully understanding the effects that it has on our bodies. But we do know that exposure to non-native electromagnetic fields in prolonged amounts can mess with our olfactory function, of course. So that's the other piece. And then the third is zinc deficiency is a common factor that leads to loss of taste and smell. And then the fourth one that I'd add into that is Although many of us, again, may not have been consciously fearful or consciously concerned about SARS-CoV-2 or COVID or anything like that, when they're inserting this idea that it leads to loss of taste and smell and they keep on giving us this messaging over and over and over again, we cannot discount how impressionable our subconscious mind is to then latch onto that and then actually bring that effect into reality, especially when it's done in mass amongst all of us who are connected via this web of energy, right? So when we're, when we're given this repeated messaging over and over and over again, knowing that we create our own realities and a lot of that creation is dealing with the subconscious mind, then if this messaging has been inserted into our minds over and over and over again, it is possible, and I would say likely, that we will bring that into being when we are experiencing a detoxification program or illness, right? So that's another possibility. But again, the analogy that I meant to bring up earlier that I didn't bring up and I just realized it um, from Dr. Cowan, he was interviewed on a podcast and someone asked him like, well, well, Tom, what's, what's your explanation for all these things? And his, his first answer was, well, you know, I, I don't know. I genuinely don't know what causes it to rain. I have no idea, but I do know this. If you point to the rain and you say, ah, that's caused by a giant elephant that flies, that's pissing in the sky. I can point to that and say, no, there's no proof that, of that. That's nonsense. So when it comes to any of these things, it's the same thing. Like, I don't have to know what is the cause of something to know what has never been proven to be the cause of something. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that's the case with SARS-CoV-2 being having it be a claim to exist, but also be claimed to cause all of these other things. In order to assign characteristics to something that, um, or, or if you're assigning characteristics to something that has not first been shown to exist, that's called a reification fallacy. 
you're reifying, you're bringing into existence something that has not been proven to exist in the first place. And if you're pointing to symptoms of illness or even saying things along the lines of, well, I was sicker than I've ever been, therefore that is proof that SARS-CoV-2 exists or proof that it came from a lab. That's, that's called an affirming the consequent logical fallacy when you're pointing to an effect as proof of the cause absent of ever first proving the cause in the first place. Mm -hmm. So that's what's occurring with that. And there's endless logical fallacies when it comes to virology. But the point is, there are other explanations for these things. There are other explanations that I'm not aware of that many people aren't aware of because we haven't explored them yet because right. we're so myopically focused on this idea that viruses exist and cause disease and that's completely unproven. Right, right. Yeah, that that's it it we're I, in my mind I think that we're kind of very early and you and and the the rest of the people that are working and providing content for the end of COVID I think are at the very like razor's edge at the beginning of a long exploration as to what's really going on here. Right. Like I, there's not an easy tidy answer to that. And, and, and I think it makes people uncomfortable to not have answers. It, yeah. it they want to be able to say, well, this is what we know this for sure. This is proven. We, you know, we don't need to get into scientism today on today's podcast because that's a whole other thing that 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 is just going to derail us. But I think that we each of us have to have the courage to question what we are forced fed to believe. We just have to have have to have the courage to say this doesn't seem right to me. This doesn't make sense to me. This doesn't map out. You know, the, the, the Santa Claus and the ping pong on the brick wall are really great examples of that. And, you know, the, the, the polio vaccine, you know, most people don't know that DDT was being sprayed everywhere on everyone and crippling people mm -hmm. for, uh, for years. Yep. Most people don't make that connection. And then that started to diminish. We had better sanitation. We washed our hands. We, you know, we, and, and eventually, and I'm not saying wash our hands to get rid of viruses or whatever, but just to, just to be cleaner, like there's dirt, <laughs> there's, there's dirt and DDT is, is certainly, uh, um, can be harmful for people. It's toxic. Right. Mm -hmm. And so looking back at, the the polio vaccine and thinking well that there's there's an alternate explanation for that that mm -hmm. that a lot of people don't know it's just an it's just one more in a long line of examples am, am i correct that louis pasteur uh hijacked some of his ideas and walked back a lot of his ideas on his deathbed did do we is there yeah it, it was not as much on his deathbed but in his private writings from his own like notebooks that were intended to be private that were then publicly released he acknowledged that a lot of his stuff was fraudulent hmm. and you know, for, for people who haven't explored Pasteur versus Bichamp, that is essentially what we're talking about here. It's the foundation of this conversation in that Pasteur claimed to have shown that there are these uh, microscopic pathogenic microbes that cause illness. And back then it was more so talking about bacteria, but nonetheless, that there are these pathogenic microbes that cause illness in other people, whereas Bichamp pointed to those things and said, no, those are the effect of 
something else. They are there to decompose decaying tissue. And we have a whole session on that too, called Bichamp versus Pasture, sort of giving you the historical context of what we're talking about, because this is a tough one. Remember in the back of your mind, the, the understanding that disease being passed via the fluids of a sick person is completely unproven. What we're talking about here also applies with bacteria at the least in the sense that bacteria in its isolated form of any type has never been proven to be pathogenic or disease causing, but they are mistaken as the cause when they are akin to a firefighter at the scene of a fire. They are there to, to clean up the fire. They are there to decompose the decaying tissue and return it to the earth. That's what bacteria do. And bacteria are also pleomorphic. So when we say that there's multiple types of bacteria, that's technically a, a misnomer as well. And we get into all that with the end of COVID as well. We, we cover that pretty extensively. And that's where the end of COVID is, is kind of a misnomer. It's not, it's not the end of COVID. It's, it's, it's using COVID because so many people have had their attention on this topic for the last three years to introduce people to this deeper understanding of, of undoing all and, and, and dismantling all the untruths surrounding health so that we can begin to lay a foundation of what health might look like. And that's what we do in the last two modules is go into what we call a new health story where we introduce some of these some of these topics building upon a foundation of understanding that there's no proof for the the germ theory yeah yeah that that, that i this is such a silly little story but it's it's so relevant I, there was a book when i was a kid that was at my house and it was basically the story of louis pasteur and it was a cartoon book and the cartoon book basically explained um scenes and well i said the word dang it i thought we got to how far did we get in before i said the v word (laughs) dang it yep i'm gonna boop it so that you already have my name on this episode that's that's your first problem then you put (laughs) said vaccines yeah i was thinking maybe there was a possibility that this could be up on youtube for more than 10 seconds (laughs) just bleep it out yeah i probably will Uh, and, and it showed louis pasteur and it was a the rabies example. Um, dog, the dog had rabies. The dog bit yep. the kid. The kid got rabies. They gave him a shot, and he got all better. And it showed it 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 showed this picture. I'm sure this book is probably in a box at my parents' house. Showed this little rabies germ thing, and it was the scariest the scariest thing you'd ever seen. And I remember being so freaked out by that. Like, oh my god, there are creepy gremlin little things in the spit of dogs. And when, if the dogs, if a, if a dog ever bites me, I'm going to go crazy. My eyes are going to get red and I'm going to, I'm just going to go crazy and try to, you know, kill people in my house. And, it, and, and now I'm thinking back on it. And this gets to my question, which is what is the motivation? Is it, is it, is it malice? Is it ignorance? Obviously it's money. We know that money plays a part in this. And that's so obvious. If you don't know, if you're, if you're, if you're, if you don't know by now, a lot of people made a lot of money and are continuing to make a lot of money and they're going to make even more money on the second round because it's been promised to us that they're going to do this again. Yep. But I'm thinking about like, what is the, is, is it malicious or is it ignorance that continues to perpetuate this this entire narrative like would you have you thought about that much 
Yeah, we covered that during the end of COVID too, um, pretty extensively. <laughs> you should probably someone should probably play a game. How many times does Alec bring up the end of COVID? But with the, the reason I'm doing, obviously, I'm here to promote that. But at the same time, it's because we genuinely do cover all these things in depth during the end of COVID. But just briefly, of course, the the money piece is a huge factor. Of course, the control piece is a huge factor. But so many people tend to get wrapped up in this idea. And, you know, this question also inevitably comes up when you bring up the virus thing. It's like, what, they're all in on it? You really think that all these people, all these doctors, all these police officers, all these politicians, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, they're all in on this grand scheme together. They're all hiding from us what they secretly know, et cetera, et cetera. No, that's not what we're saying. And, you know, specifically speaking to virology, vir virologists have been taught this method of isolation. They've been, they've been taught it as a matter of fact, right? Like this is a well-known well-established way to isolate viruses. This is, we've been doing this for 70 plus years now. The problem is they've never gone back to look at the foundational studies, the, the foundational virus isolation, cell culture isolation studies from the 1950s. And again, we cover that during the end of COVID, what happened with those experiments and how this precedent was set for all of modern virology. But just setting aside the virology example, when it comes to this whole agenda, Again, we cannot discount the impressionability of the human psyche. So three things that are covered during the end of COVID pretty extensively are some experiments that were done attempting to, to figure out how impressionable human beings were with respect to groupthink, with respect to authority and the, like, and, and the uh, obedience to it, and then also taking on a position of authority. So that is the ASH experiments, the Milgram experiments, and the Stanford prison experiments. So for those watching or listening to this, just go look up the ASH experiments, the Stanford prison experiments, the Milgram experiments, and you'll get a good picture of what the human psyche or how the human psyche responds to obedience, to authority, and to groupthink. And you put all those three things together and that is the agenda at play over the last three years. So to answer your question, in large part, it's conditioned beliefs and it's conditioned beliefs coupled with groupthink and the, the desire to be a part of the pack and a part of the tribe. And in addition to that groupthink, it's that we have all succumbed to the idea um, and this applies to even those who disagreed with what's gone on the last three years. We've nonetheless succumbed to the idea that men and women who call themselves government have the right to tell us what to do with our bodies, have the right to tell us what to do with our health, have the right to tell us X, Y, and Z things. And if you say, well, they have no right to do that, you still at the least believe they have power and authority over you. And their authority and their power is the result of a conditioned belief. We are hallucinating their authority into existence. We believe they have power over us. Their power ceases to exist when a bunch of us in mass simply look at them and say, oh, you're just men and women like me. You're not a legitimate authority. I'm not gonna listen to what you say anymore. And then that authority is gone. It literally requires our belief in order to operate. And that's all it operates on. And we continue to believe it, even if we disagree with it. 
much of the health freedom space is still rallying outside their capital, still petitioning to their congressmen, et cetera, et cetera, saying, you have authority over me. I want you to change the form and the shape and the function of the authority, though. But I still believe you have legitimate authority over me. Mm. And that's something we also cover extensively during the end of COVID is dissolving that illusion as well. Yeah, that that's another hard one to break away from, um, you know, admittedly, since you've been harping on it so much, namely on Twitter, uh, um, this, this, the, the, the fallacy of authority, um, which I have been exercising in various ways in my life and, and with my children who are in trouble at school a lot <laughs> and not for being bad kids, but for questioning everything. Good. They should get in trouble then. That's awesome. Every day, all like, yeah all day and 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 the, and the adults in the room and the, and this is just proud dad talking here but I, you know we get emails from teachers a lot and it's like hey i i really dig your kid your your kid's energy and i appreciate where they're coming from but like there is a lot of challenging behaviors going on and when we get to the bottom of it it's like well he's asking questions around uh you know uh why, why things are run the way that they're run, right? Like, why do we have to do this this way? And it's constant. And it's like, and, and, and so I do the same thing, right? Who, who's the boss of me, right? Like who, who is in control? And so, uh, it's me. It's all, it's always been, it's me. you exactly. <laughs> it's, it's always been me yeah. and, and to hear you say, you know, people lining up at, uh, at the steps of the Capitol to, to change policy, um, I think is a, is an interesting idea because, uh, it, it, it still perpetuates this, this, this authority, this, yes. this, this, this fallacy. And I, you know, I, I, I sort of stretch my brain there and think, well, then what's the alternative? Mm -hmm. And Michael Malice comes to mind this, you know, this sort of anarchy, but not in the way that we're thinking. We usually no, think about we're, we're conditioned like we're conditioned to believe that anarchy means looting, burning, pillaging, raping in the streets, doing whatever the hell you want. That's not what anarchy means. And it's been intentionally, I would say intentionally, I have no proof of that. But I my my feeling is that it's been intentionally portrayed that way to deter people from exploring the reality that authority is an illusion and that we don't need government. Yeah, right there before before taxes, we had roads like, yeah, <laughs> imagine that, right? What? We had all of these things before taxes and before centralized government. Wow. Roads. We had roads. <laughs> oh, like, how, yeah. like that thinking about that, thinking about how that even worked, like how in the hell did we have roads before taxes? It's like, well, we find a way to make things work for ourselves and support Absolutely. each other and build community and get things done, you know, and get from point A to point B. Um, yeah, well, you know, pe people will say that, well, there's a lot of things people will say, but one of the things people will say when you're like, look, dude, government itself is, is the problem, like the foundation of it, not just this form of government, but government itself is the problem. And then people will respond to that with, well, we need government because, human beings are prone to behaving immorally and, pr and prone to infringing and imposing upon each other. I'm like, okay, I agree with that. Yeah. I think that there are some human beings that are prone to that, but do you think it then makes sense to give those same human beings who are prone to behaving immorally, prone to corruption, prone to infringing and imposing upon each other, the exclusive pseudo moral justification 
to use force against those who don't comply with their commands. Right. <laughs> right. People, people are going to be rude to each other and try to impose their will. It's like, yeah, that's true. Uh, so then why are we giving them all the money? Yeah, <laughs> right? All like, the money and all the power and the pseudo moral justification to use force, initiate force against those who don't comply. Right. Right. <laughs> and I've not heard one good answer to that. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Let's, let's give the the most unscrupulous people, the, the, the most uh, mired in special interest and nepotism. Let's give them all the like people are bad, but let's give like the most deplorable people, the most like heinous of, of us who have never worked a hard day in their life. Let's give them the money. Let's give them the yeah. power. Right? And then people respond to that and be like, okay, well, you're using extreme, extreme examples. There are good people who become politicians. I'm like, yeah, I, I agree. There are good people. But then again, that's still presupposing that that good person has the, has the perfect solution that then applies to all of society. Yeah. No matter what, whether he is a good and well-intentioned person or not, something that he comes up with as how things should be done will then be violently imposed upon those who disagree with how things should be done. And the whole point is what we're, what we're talking about and kind of dancing around here, a better term for anarchy is voluntarism. And all that is is saying that every interaction, relationship, agreement between any man or woman or group or organization or entity requires the voluntary consent of all parties involved without coercion, manipulation, extortion, or threats or force. Like it just requires that everyone involved in that says, yes, I agree to that. And I agree what, to what's going on here. And that's how we could operate. Communities could then form. And if you don't like how that community operates, you say, yeah, this community is not for me. I don't agree with these things. So I'm going to go to this community instead. And then those communities could like associate um, to certain levels with each other. And all the functions that are currently occupied by the government could be done in the private. You could have, as an example, police forces that are competing for, uh, to, to give people policing, right? So, and what I mean by that is if like, let's say I have an arsenal of guns in my closet. I'm like, you know what? I don't need police, so I'm not going to pay for that. I'm not going to pay for that private service. But maybe another neighborhood down the street, there's been a few break-ins. So the neighbors come together and they say, hey, let's pull some money together and let's hire this police force over here. They have much better independently verified ratings than this police force that also operates in town. Let's hire them. And then the police forces have an incentive to do well because if people don't want their service, they don't have to pay for it. Yeah. And, and, and they're by nature of the demand, they're going to provide a high quality of service exactly without discrimination, without overt violence, without, you know, uh, you know, backroom deals and crooked cops. They're just going to continue. Yeah. Yeah. The, the, we've got a lot of work to do, Alec, a lot, <laughs> a lot of work to do. Yeah. Uh, why don't you just take care of it? I'm going to keep doing my, <laughs> just, just, yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, just, you know, this, that's a, that's a funny example. And I know you were just joking, but that's the thing that you're, I know 100%, I know you, so you're telling a joke, but that is the mentality that people genuinely have. Yeah. And that's what leads to them. And this may be triggering for some saying, oh, thank God RFK Jr. is running now. If we just get him in office, all of this will all change. I don't have to do shit anymore. I can sit back and do nothing. Right. How many people in the health freedom movement 
are now sort of taking a breath of fresh air and looking at him and saying, ah, if we just get him elected, all these things will turn around. They're putting all of their attention and focus into what Robert F. Kennedy Jr. one man is doing. And that's without getting into the illusion of our voting system, the birth certificate, which I don't know if you've explored and, and the whole, the War Powers Act yeah. and all of those things. That's without even going to there. Let's assume that the system actually works as they say it does and that votes count and all those things, right? Let's assume it. If that assumption is true, you are still outsourcing all of your power to some man who doesn't know you, doesn't give a shit about you, that is going to be put in place to then wield what he thinks is the appropriate way to function onto the rest of society. And in a society, especially in the United States, when we are so diverse and we have converging and uh, differing ideas and ideologies and belief systems and things like this, the only foundational agreement we can come to is that I will not impose upon you. I will not initiate force against you. I will not push my perspective upon you so long as you abide by the same. That's it. Right. Moral of the story is vote Alex Zach 2028. <laughs> <the hell> <laughs> Someone asked me that. We were like, dude, you should run. I'm like, no, you're missing the point. No, like, you don't no get one, it, man. No one should run. No more running. No more running for office. <laughs> Well, this and coming, you know, coming from you who have shared the stage with RFK Jr., who have run in the same sort of movements and circles and health advocacy and informed consent and yeah. skepticism of the systems, like to to it's coming from you that that means that means a lot more than coming from anybody else because you've 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 you're thinking 10 steps ahead. And it's like, no, we just yeah. can't. We can't, we can't assign power. We can't 100%. And right. that's without like disc, like people will take what I'm saying here and be like, Oh, so you think RFK is a bad dude. And you, you think he's like doing the wrong thing. I'm like, no, I'm just saying that, yes, he's done great work to raise awareness to this issue. Probably more to raise harm, uh, raise awareness to the harms of vaccines than most people in the health freedom space. I agree with that. But this idea that we then should elect him as president to, uh, you know, wield authority to the rest of society is a flawed, is coming from a flawed position. That's yeah, so, what I'm saying. So that we can all become complacent and give up our power and our right. decision making to somebody who, like you said, doesn't know us, can't think for us, can't exactly. pay our bills, can't exactly. make the decisions for our own, you know, health and vitality. You know, that, that, that's a big, that's a big deal. Mm -hmm. um, in, in the, in the minutes that we have left here, uh, you know, there's so many, I mean, I've got questions like, um, um, if there's no flu season, what are some possible explanations? If we effectively cut down the tree, then what will be in its place? Mm. Uh, so what makes us sick? Bac bacteria causing disease, mold, parasites, pathogenesis, cooties, you know, like I've got all of these questions that I, I'm never going to get to. Right. Yes. So I'm, I'm just going to kind of punt to you for the last yep. couple of minutes and just say, obviously, please, we've, we've talked about the end of COVID. I do want you yep. to, to, to end by explaining what that is, because I think it's, this is a big enough topic where we need to unpack this and sit down and study and read and learn. But, you know, based on the couple of ideas that I just threw out and the time that we have, you know, what did, what did we miss? What, what, what could you speak to? Yeah. So again, it's to reemphasize, actually, I'd like to touch on this, the, the 
cooties. Uh, yeah, coot. Well, cooties. Yeah, kind of. It's it's the it's the assumption that much of the health freedom movement also succumbs to that symptoms are the problem. Like what what we're attempting to flip on its head, obviously, is the foundation of virology and a, a lot of other things, right? Like bacteriology, all of it. But it's also this idea that we should be afraid of experiencing symptoms. That idea is then what leads to, in my mind, my argument would be that leads to chronic disease, mentally and physically, because our inability to just deal with some tough symptoms temporarily or our desire to avoid mm. it then leads to us taking on, on the allopathic side of things, these uh, immunosuppressive drugs or these symptom reducing drugs that then just pushes toxicity deeper into tissue. And then on the alternative health side of things, it's like, oh, I'm going to take this herb. I'm going to take this. I'm going to take that to suppress the symptoms rather than treating the root cause, right? And or just allowing the body to do what it's designed to do to heal, which is experience symptoms. So then what do we do? We take these immunosuppressive drugs, we take these other things, we take these herbs, we take these supplements that then leads to those symptoms just stopping, pushing the toxicity deeper into the tissue, which then leads mm. to chronic disease. That's what happens. And that happens on the psych side of things as well, because mm. our inability to deal with our emotions we want to, you know, to, to put a bandaid on it or, or to take on the allopathic side of things, psych drugs, but on the, the alternative health side of things, we'll, you know, like do certain techniques and things to avoid simply just feeling our fucking shit. Mm, that's that's scary, Alec. That's scary for a lot of people and especially for parents. And that is a, that is a really, really important key idea that I absolutely agree with 100%. And that is crippling for a lot of people to think that their seven-year-old is going to be uncomfortable for a couple of days, sick, lethargic, sleeping most of the day, sweating, coughing, swollen lymph nodes for mm -hmm. days and days without rushing out and taking some sort of ibuprofen or aspirin or medication or shit, even like cough medicine, you know, mm -hmm. like there, there, I think each, th this, this, it's, it's a huge, huge idea. Um, I, obviously like my, my approach and my thoughts on this, you know, you lose a lot of friends when you tell people that your kids have never had a shot of anything ever at mm -hmm. 10 and seven never had a shot of anything ever it freaks people out because they're like whoa yep okay you're one of those guys you you you're okay with letting your kids suffer you're okay it's such a flawed assumption it's a, such a flawed position that's right. rooted in conditioning right right and and it's like well we, we trust we trust our bodies to do what our bodies do yeah, which is exactly that which is kind what of a crazy concept, right? Like literally just trusting our bodies to do what they've been doing for thousands and thousands of years. Wow. Right. That's how we're here. Like what did our, yeah. what did, what did 20 grandmas ago, what did she do yeah. when she was crouched around a fire and got a fever and, and got sick? Like she didn't yeah. take aspirin, you know? Yeah. She, she, she slept and rubbed some dirt on it. Maybe, you know, I don't see any, any obese, like chronically depressed, chronic, chronically anxious people 
thousands of years ago or even hundreds of years ago or even decades ago. Right, right. Big yeah. stuff, dude. Well, two things. Please, again, where can people go? Obviously, we've set the table for people to go and just learn. Like, keep an open yeah. mind, do some research. The offer that you have is is insane. There's so much value for such a low barrier entry, barrier to entry. Please explain that to people. Yeah. And then I have one more fill in the blank question and then I'll turn you, I'll let you go. Cool. Okay. So the end of COVID is launching on July 11th. It is intended to take people from A to Z on exactly what happened the last three years and beyond getting down to the granular details so that we can ensure none of this nonsense ever happens again, because we tend to fall into the conditioned belief that we are at the mercy of this, this, uh, this agenda. And the reality is that if we as men and women simply just educate ourselves on what health looks like and where our rights come from and where freedom comes from, we can put an end to this now. We can literally stop it right now. And when I say right now, I mean literally right now. Um, so that's what we're doing with the end of COVID that launches on July 11th. And you can find that, I'm assuming, at the the link in the show notes. And um, yeah, was that the only question you had on that? I think it was. Yeah, that was that was it. Where to yeah. go. Okay. I, again, like... The, the barrier to entry is super low. If, if, if you, if you. Yeah. Are, okay. You I, have, I got that. So it's free for 21 days, completely free. And we have over 120, <laughs> that's a lot, 120 hours of recorded interviews, presentations. Most of them are presentations. Um, again, getting down to the granular details of what happened these last three and a half years and beyond Roman Bistriana, co-author of Dissolving Illusions made a documentary. They'll be featuring during the end of COVID for the first time called Dissolving the Vaccine Illusion. Um, and there's another documentary, the greater good by Leslie Manukian that will feature during this. Uh, there's, there's a lot, there's a lot, but the intention is to dismantle all of modern medicine. Yes. So here's the fill in the blank question. I don't remember what you answered the first time you did this, but I've asked this question hundreds and hundreds of times now. It can be about anything. We talked about raw, uh, we talked about, uh, the The raw raw one. We talked about the law of one uh, in just for context in the last episode. Um, Here's the fill in the blank. Elaborate as much or as little as you wish. Everyone would benefit from knowing. Blank. Ooh. Everyone would benefit from knowing that whether it be particles or so-called authority figures, there is nothing outside of them that is coming to get them. The only thing that needs to be dissolved is the fear of the beliefs associated with that. Mic drop. Alex Zek, thank you so much, man, for coming back to the Optimal Performance Podcast. Thanks, Sean.